continuing with our series on Jesus and his encounters with different people. This is from Matthew chapter 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this, your word. Spirit, lead us now. Bless these words that they may not be my words, but they may be your words. And we know that each of us comes bringing whatever we bring, pains, struggles, ups, downs, middles. We pray, God, that you'll meet us in each one of them. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. Never underestimate the impact of an outsider. I always tell people this when they're new to the Christian faith or they're just even wanting to explore it. Maybe they're, not even, maybe they're not even Christians yet. It Maybe they feel funny about their lack of Bible knowledge or something, or they don't know prayer lingo or whatever, you know, and they feel odd. And I always, I, I will try to say to people, you're a gift because with fresh eyes, you enliven our faith. With your perspective, with what you bring, whatever you come bringing, you can show us what we have here just by being yourself with your questions, with your struggles, with whatever you bring to the table. Whether or not it's the pull or the, or the you know, language of Christian culture, doesn't matter. You bring yourself with open heart and open Mind, and we'll learn from you. This is what happens in our story today. We have an outsider who has much to teach us. Sometimes outsiders to our faith can remind us of what exactly we have here. Matthew chapter 15 is about Jesus and an outsider. Our text tells us that Jesus is now in Tyre and Sidon. And as Bible scholar Dale Bruner points out, these were code names. These places were code names for Bible readers. These places screamed pagan land. 
The woman from that country who comes out to encounter Jesus is specifically described as a Canaanite woman. To readers of the Hebrew scriptures, the adjective Canaanite would mean everything dangerous. Dangerous to the faith of Israel. So, this woman is dangerous, right? But she approaches Jesus with reverence and a sense of awe, even worship. She cries out using Hebrew praise language, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Now it's her daughter who's possessed, but she asks for mercy. Well, Jesus says nothing at first. His disciples want him to ditch her. She's loud, apparently. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, as Dr. Bruner points out, there's no indication he's actually saying this to the woman. It may be that what we hear is Jesus, our Lord, thinking out loud at this moment. And Dr. Bruner points out that while Jesus had indeed helped the Gentile centurion a few chapters earlier, that healing occurred within the bounds of Israel. This is on the north shore, or that was on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. This situation, the healing of a Gentile woman, is in Gentile territory, on the other side of the tracks, so to speak. This would be Jesus going off the reservation, so to speak, outside his typical focus on Israel in Gentile country with a Gentile woman. But the woman persists. And in doing so, she shows faith that some of the Jewish people whom Jesus encountered earlier failed to show. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, people in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth reject him. And the scripture says that he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. They lacked the faith. So what a contrast. Where people in Jesus' hometown failed to express faith, the woman on foreign territory, this apparent outsider, kneels and begs. Lord, help me. That would be less than enough. But Jesus pushes further. And here's, here's the hard part. He, he replies. Jesus tells her in response to, Lord, help me. Jesus tells her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus compares Israel and this woman to children and dogs. What is going on here? Well, we love our dogs. You know, uh, little Lucy yesterday had a bath, our little Havapu, and she was chilly on the on the bed. So I wrapped some covers around her and she snuggled up because there was a bit of autumn chill in the air. So we cuddle with our dogs. I try to cuddle with Bingley. He's a standard poodle. He didn't like it that much. He's a little bit of a, you know, grump sometimes. But I love cuddling with him. It's like cuddling with a big live stuffed animal. It's so great. But dogs 
for us in the 21st century and dogs in this text are a little different. We can soften the, the, the text a bit. One scholar points out that the word for dogs here does designate household animals as opposed to the semi-wild stray dogs of Jewish culture. So as scholar Dale Bruner says, at least this puts Jews and Gentiles under the same roof. But the word still degrades her status. It degrades her status from that of the Jews, including the Jewish guys who are standing around while Jesus is saying this. So when we hear these words from Jesus, it's easy to feel shock to hear him talk this way and to feel offended for her. But we have to look at the whole picture, the whole background here. We have to look at her whole response and his response to her response. And when we look at all of that in total, it's apparent that there's, it's very apparent that there's quite a bit more going on here than Jesus just degrading or dissing this woman, as the case may be. In the overall context, Jesus has been operating in a way that has focused on Israel. He's been around Galilee. By the end of Matthew's gospel, though, Jesus tells the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Plural, ethnos in Greek. All people's groups. Up to now... He's been engaged with his brothers and sisters of Jewish descent in and around Galilee and beyond with both positive and negative results. But in the end, by the end of the gospel, he's going to open it out to the whole wide world. When he engages his brothers and sisters of Jewish descent, he finds positive responses with healings, deliverances from demons, teaching the crowds, people who follow him and respond to him. But negatively, up to this point in the Gospels of Matthew, Jesus has had confrontations with Jewish religious leaders. He's rejected by his own hometown folks. And just a few chapters before this one, Jesus denounces the Jewish towns where he did miracles. Why does he denounce them? He denounces them because the people did not repent in response. Chapter 11. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And now, here we are, in Tyre and Sidon, and look at what is happening. Back in chapter 8, when Jesus heals the Gentile outsider Roman centurion servant, Jesus was impressed with the Roman centurion's faith. And he told his disciples, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And now here we are to the, to the west, interior and Sudan in outsider territory, in Gentile territory, with a woman who was expressing dynamic faith in Jesus. So Jesus does focus in Israel for a while. And that's where he begins. That's where he arises and where he begins. But the gospel was always, the gospel was always going to open up and out toward the wider world. So when he makes his dog's comment... 
What Jesus is doing is inhabiting the internal insider language of Jews so as to elicit a response from this woman and explode it all from the inside. Not not in in a destructive way, but in a fulfilling way. Guys, this is bigger than you think. Watch what happens. You know, he could talk all day to his disciples about making disciples of all nations. That's how he ends it. But when Jesus engages this outsider with dynamic, even harsh language, he elicits her faith as an outsider. And when he does that, he's not just telling the disciples about the gospel of grace and the gospel of grace's reach. He's showing them. He's showing them. Because his words elicit the most brilliant response from this dear woman. And this encounter is very interesting. Scholars R.T. France and the late great F.F. Bruce suggest that there's more going on here in all probability than just what Jesus said. Perhaps there was something about how Jesus said it. The late Professor Bruce puts it this way. What if, what if there was a twinkle in his eye as he spoke? As much as to say, you know what we Jews are supposed to think of Gentiles. Do you think it is right for you to come and ask for a share in the healing which I have come to impart to Jews? The written, the written record that we have can preserve the spoken words. It can't convey the tone of voice in which they were said. Maybe the tone of voice encouraged the woman to persevere. Yeah, I think it did. Jesus inhabits the exclusive language here, which on the surface degrades outsiders, but it appears he did this in a way, maybe even with a wink, so as to invite the response that showed faith in this woman as an outsider, showed the faith of this woman as an outsider. Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, Wink, wink, perhaps. And she counters by saying, oh yes it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Not only does she take no apparent offense at the analogy. You know, before we defend her and feel bad for her, we should look at how she feels about this, right? And she's not offended at all. She works with the language. She uses the language. She adapts it for her purpose. She essentially says, look, I'll gladly be a dog if it means I can eat just the crumbs from the master's table. I'm so in need of what I believe you can give me, I'll take the downgrade in my status to get it because what I need from you is more important than my status. What's it called when you have no status, when you have no pull? What's it called when you have no in to get what you need, but you keep asking anyway? You keep pleading for mercy. Maybe you could call it desperation. Maybe you could call it humiliation. Jesus calls it great faith. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Some of us, some of us grew up in church. Some of us grew up outside of church. And so we're 
were outsiders for a long time. Keep in mind, though, that as Gentiles, as non-Jews, in a sense, we're all outsiders. And yet, even as Jesus engages with the house of Israel and focuses there, like we said before, by the end of Matthew's gospel, he's telling his disciples, go out and make disciples of all nations. As scholar Michael Wilkins points out in the very next passage, right after this text, many were were told that many Gentiles glorify the God of Israel. Chapter 15, verses 29 to 31. So the dropping of crumbs to the Gentile mother and daughter prepares for a turning to the Gentiles in general with the miraculous feeding of the 4,000. And from here on out, the gospel of Matthew's, in Matthew's gospel, it's the Gentiles who increasingly become the focus of Jesus' ministry. Some Jews believe in Jesus. Note that the first disciples were Jewish. But some don't. Note that many times his opponents were, were the religious leaders. As Israel rejects the kingdom, Gentiles frequently come into view as recipients of his message and healing, Dr. Wilkins says. But this was the point of Israel's existence in the first place. This goes all the way back to Genesis. Israel was blessed to be a blessing. God's promise to Israel was that all the nations, Genesis 12, would be blessed through them. And this is exactly what is happening here. As Jesus emerges from the sociocultural matrix of the Jewish world, he is the way God is going to fulfill Israel's calling. He is the way, emerging as he does from the Jewish social, cultural, religious matrix, he is the way that God is going to bless the world through Abraham's descendants. Jesus fulfills Israel's calling to bless the world, and we see that here on the other side of the track, so to speak, in Gentile territory, where things begin to shift, and the disciples are not just told about it, They're given a demonstration of it. I think Jesus' moves here are performative of a sort. He draws her out. That's why I believe he uses the language he uses, calling her a dog, even a domesticated dog, putting them all under the same roof, but still using the language and the assumptions of the Jewish setting and these guys to blow it up from the inside and vividly demonstrate to his disciples, hey guys, the blast radius of this gospel is far bigger than you might assume. Well, I think there are at least two major takeaways from this moment for us. The first has to do with this blast radius of the gospel. The second has to do with the nature of faith. First, the blast radius of the gospel. Scholar Eugene Boring puts it this way. The story of this Canaanite woman serves to challenge the sexism and racism of readers, ancient and modern, who tend to consider those of a different gender and ethnicity as the other, somehow more distant from God and the divine order and plan than our own group. You could say gender, ethnicity, whatever kind of difference, you know, insert any difference in there. Everyone is included in God's reach. Jew and Gentile. That's been the plan from the beginning. Churched and unchurched. Who do you consider second class? I mean, maybe it's not overt in your mind, but it's maybe more subtle in your mind. Who do you consider second class in their beliefs? 
Do you and I have eyes to see their faith expressed in their seeking whatever they need from God, whatever their heart cry is? Jesus is present here where he's not supposed to be on the other side of the tracks in Gentile land. As we see in our story, the gospel, the good news of rescue from all threats moves outward, pushes outward. That is what he's doing here. As we move with Jesus, we will find ourselves where we're not supposed to be sometimes. In conversations with with unfamiliar people. Maybe even people who we subtly consider to be second class or not there yet. And if we have eyes to see, we'll be confronted and challenged with expressions of faith that blow open our assumptions about where God is and where faith lives. Where are the second class people who, in your mind, whom God is encouraging you to go be with so that you can see what he's doing there and see their faith in whatever way. It was, it was around there with Jesus. It's around here now too. So the blast radius of the gospel, be open to being surprised where faith lives. That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway is the nature of faith. Jesus says this woman has great faith. In the previous chapter, when Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water toward Jesus and then sees the wind and begins to sink, Jesus reaches out and catches him. And what does he say? He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? As Dr. Boring points out, Matthew's gospel presentation of Peter having little faith as the insider and the Kenite woman having great faith as the outsider in the very next chapter, this is no accident, right? There is a point here that the Holy Spirit is trying to convey to us in comparing Peter's little faith and this Gentile woman's great faith. So what does great faith look like? But already alluded to it so beautifully. She cries out. It was loud. She cries out for mercy. She's kneeling. She doesn't quit. She believes what Jesus offers is so potent that even the crumbs will do. She's willing to let go of whatever her need for status is to get what he's got. Dr. Wilkins points it this way, points it, points out, great faith does not imply, great faith does not imply a large quantity, but rather an immovable steadfastness in trusting God's word and will against all odds and circumstances. She accepts God's revelation and will as her reality and purpose for her life, which is the central defining element in faith. Where is God calling you and me? And how is God calling you and me to kneel and beg and persist as parents, as grandparents, as children, as coworkers, as neighbors? Where and who and how are you and I called to beg on behalf of ourselves and the needs around us like this woman? And of course, that is to a gift of the spirit. The Lord gives us the Holy Spirit 
to increase our faith. So we can say, uh, like was said to Jesus elsewhere by another person, I believe, help my unbelief. But you and I are called on our knees to beg and trust in a God who will provide. A God who's so good and so great that even his crumbs are enough. May it be so for you and for me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.